0: Hi John, it's very good to see you. Good to see you. I can see you're doing really well. Uh, how are things impressed on
1: Oh, it's it's so beautiful here. I'm, I'm I feel like I'm given a great blessing just being able to live in this extraordinary uh, nature that we have here and the wonderful community of uh, very caring people.
0: It's amazing to have a retreat like that. Uh, considering the world circumstances, you can access as much space as you like uh, as part of sheltering at home. It's really lovely. So yes, yeah, it's,
1: it's a special gift for sure, and uh, kind of fits into what we talked about during the last podcast, where in a way this current virus situation is, on the one hand, it's it's pretty horrendous, but so many ill people and and death and, and uh, disruption economically. But on the other side of the coin, it's a, it's a, as we were saying last time, it's a huge invitation into dropping into the, the uh, opportunity to take us a, a short retreat in life, which normally we, we rarely take the time to do. We're so busy with everything that we have to do with family and making, earning an income and all of the, obligations of family life and suddenly all this is is lifted and we find ourselves with a big chunk of time and of course that's classically those that go into retreat that's what they do they they set aside their worldly stuff for a little bit and they drop into a deep retreat period and they gain huge benefit from it and then later they come back out and they integrate that into their normal life and become more peaceful harmonious and balanced as a result so we have a a worldwide invitation to the entire species to do
0: this right now (laughs) it's pretty amazing a a worldwide retreat Uh, it's uh, it's a good it's a good way to look at the the current situation and definitely there is a luxury that some of us have with time and space uh, and many of us may not have that as well Uh, yeah so it's very interesting And challenging time uh, as such that we are in. And I thought it would be really nice to continue our dialogues on source by uh, moving on to the next principle, which I feel is so relevant in today's time because Mm -hmm. many of us face a choice. Uh, We can either experience what is happening in the moment right now which is a very uncertain a very challenging time a lot of anxiety and fear present in the environment a lot of destruction of life and economy and a lot of pain at the same time uh, one might numb to that by getting lost in intoxicants or escaping into entertainment Music and Netflix. So there's a lot of different ways that people can stay with this, uh, and I feel like it's a very courageous choice to sort of stay with this in full presence. And so I thought it would be lovely to talk about the principle three of Way of Nature, uh, which leads us into this idea of presence, which is a radical idea because it's 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 very easy to be in presence on a beautiful beach, or uh, looking at a, a glorious mountain, but it's really hard when you're being chased by a tiger. Yeah. So could you maybe uh, lead us into into that principle?
1: Sure, I'd be glad to share a little bit about that. Um, as a precursor, we've been going through with some of the earlier podcasts, the 12 Principles of Natural Liberation, which are, is something that really came through to me many years ago when I was doing a lot of my own retreats, my own sacred passages and nature quests. And um, I noticed that there were certain, as I was preparing to do those retreats, I noticed that there were certain uh, common principles that you find in most of the world's great cultures and traditions of the path to spiritual liberation. And uh, so I, I, my own teachers Uh, came from the Hindu tradition, from the Tibetan tradition, from the Chinese Taoist tradition, and then from a number of indigenous peoples that I've worked with. So I noticed in all of those traditions, but also in the Christian and uh, Muslim traditions, I noticed in looking into these uh, traditions, if they were truly liberating and enlightening, had the potential to clear away the debris of life in such a way that you you drop into a very clear and open space of pure consciousness and a deep connection to the rest of life. Uh, I noticed that there were certain common principles that most of these great lineages had so I began to work to sell them one at a time over a period of years and slowly slowly what we now call the 12 principles actually there are 13 but we the 13th is, is a bit of a joke it's a bit humorous so we don't. My, it's anything. my favorite principle. It's your favorite principle. We'll leave that to the very end. <laughs> you can, of course, get a, a jump start end up, by getting the, the Sky Above mm-hmm. Earth Below book, in which it's all laid out. And uh, so you can get a preview if you'd like. But, <clears throat> but I, I want to give a little background of how it came into being. It really came out through my own practice and being exposed to many different cultures. And I was impressed by the fact that in the human experience, we all seem to have a certain common uh, pathways and, and uh, principles of the, pathway, the pathways that are followed. And I thought it would be good to find a common ground, be helpful to people to see what is the common ground. And through that, uh, two things happen. One is you begin to see that your faith your pathway is, is in common, has much in common with many of the other world's great cultures. So it gives you a certain kind of respect and tolerance and appreciation for other cultures and other peoples and other spiritual pathways. Very important in these times when we're fighting wars over those kinds of things. And then secondly, the, uh, for those that are really trying to pursue a pathway that's that's clear it provides an opportunity to go into the spiritual cultivation process kind of independent of any particular culture and then the third strength is that in our case we of course bring nature in as the as the main church or temple or synagogue so uh for us it gives a chance to bring in nature as the partner for the entire spiritual cultivation process. And this is a time when our disconnection from nature is leading to global catastrophe of many kinds. And um, so there's an imperative, really, for us to begin to bond with nature, to connect with nature deeply, and through that to begin to become, in a sense, vehicles for coming back into balance and harmony with nature. So the way of nature principles a clear pathway to doing that. Um, I want to give a little bit of that background because I think many people have asked me where did these come from and where are they important.
0: Yeah thank you for uh, sharing that Uh, and just for the benefit of the listeners Sky Above and Below is the the first book that John had written which distills out some of these profound practices and recently I was looking at the book on Kindle because I thought it would be nice to have a a portable copy and you can you can just go to Amazon and get a free sample download which will give you a sample of a few pages of the book and it's a very good selection of pages which essentially give you an overview of what i would say is the essence of the teaching some of the yeah. distilled principles and when you read them if they resonate with you then it's definitely some it's definitely a great investment worth thinking about uh, it's almost 60 years or 70 years of john's life where he's been practicing this also gives you a sense of john's young age uh, and his youthful looks uh john is above 80 actually it doesn't look like it. it's because of all the tai chi practice but he spent more than 60 70 years distilling down these practices and so what you're getting is a very good compressed nectar form of thing so you don't have to spend all that time um, yeah. and i just found this the, the free sample so good i was like wow this is really really helpful because it's not like just a random bunch of pages it's just the principles you can also go on Way of nature website and just look at the 12 principles yeah
1: we have them there too and the book uh, the sky book gives uh, i took of the 12 i took six of the ones that are kind of the core of the 12 and used and emphasized those six to keep it very very simple and then in the beginning of the book there's a, a clear layout of all, all 12 or 13 and uh, so you you get the chance to see the full 12, but you also take a deep dive into the core six. And, um, <clears throat> and then once people have worked with those for a while, then they can go on and do some work with the new publication, which is this Cultivating Natural Liberation volume that uh, we just came out with uh, last year.
0: Yeah. And, and John, so, you, you know, you were talking about how you have involved nature as the container, a partner in this process. Yeah. So it'd be lovely to hear about like, how was the evolution uh, following that? Were these principles emerging naturally one after the mm-hmm. other? And how did principle three come up? Like, was there an instance where you oh, found fantastic.
1: that? Good, good question. Uh, it's interesting. i like, I was kind of a, a bit of a strange kid. Uh, <clears throat> I grew up with a wonderful family, extended family, were aunts, uncles, parents, grandparents, and uh, all the cousins. Grew up in one family farm. My grandpa and grandma called it the family commune or the family tribe, and. Uh, <clears throat> So we all worked the farm together as a kind of community of 30 or so people. And then we would have dinner together and a big, if you can imagine 30 or so kids and adults all laid out with one long table in an old farmhouse. That's basically what we did. The kids, of course, had to take care of the prep for the meals, laying out the, uh, the dish and washing the dishes and drying them afterwards and then hauling the water from a spring that we had up in one of the meadows. So we would have water to, to drink. And uh, so we lived a very simple life, practiced no-till agriculture where we used a dig stick to put that into the earth because my grandparents believed that if you, if you disrupted the earth, you're, you're cutting to Mother Earth's uh, skin. And you're also disturbing the harmony and balance of the soil. So they practice a form of no-till agriculture where you take a dig stick, which I think was a hardened piece of maple that had been a little fire hardened on the tip and cut down to a point. And then that point was brought into, into the earth and, in a sense, brought in the, the heaven energy into Mother Earth as that point entered the earth. And uh, then it was leaned to the four directions, as I recall, to, to welcome in the the energy of the four directions and then as the stick was lifted out mother earth's energy rose up to fill the little uh, puncture point so literally it was each time that you planted something the heaven energy came down into was brought down the energy of the four directions was brought in through the leaning of this of the dig stick and then mother earth's energy moved up to join the other other five powers And then you came by and usually one of the children uh, planted the seeds and we planted uh, corn, which takes a lot of nitrogen by the way. It's a a typical Native American plant. Really originated in Mesoamerica and um, was a perennial plant down there called Teosinte. And then it became over time cultivated probably by the peoples of Central America and um, became a very popular plant that spread throughout the Americas and then eventually around the world, of course, with the colonial impacts. So we put the, the, the corn in and then along with it, a bean seed. Now, corn takes a lot of nitrogen out of the soil. So the bean uh, has the capacity to fix nitrogen and bring nitrogen back into the soil. So they formed a partnership, the corn and the bean, and helped to provide what the soil might need a little extra boost of, which is a natural form of nitrogen, an organic form of nitrogen. And then the corn stalk provided a, a uh, mechanism for, or a support system for the bean to grow around. So it could grow up around the, the, the corn stalk and have support and be able to get more light and more nutrients that way from the sun or more exposure to the coral film and then nearby we would usually plant some squash which is uh corn beans and squash are the quote the three sisters there the three mainstays of the native american type of agriculture so we were raised like that uh, in a very organic system we, we it was such a good garden that we produced a lot of extra vegetables for so much so that we produce far more than we needed ourselves so we would load up an old woody station wagon that the family had we would drive around to the poor families in the neighborhood and then give away the surplus food that we had in the from the garden needless to say we were a pretty popular family in the neighborhood as a result of that and then we would once once a week usually sunday afternoon get together and sing uh sing songs like Swing Low Sweet Chariot, for those of you who know the old spirituals that we used to sing in the Americas. And um, and we would, that would be a community bonding experience that extended the family culture out into a much broader community. I think being raised like that in a family tribe uh, with some Native American influence, obviously, um, <clears throat> laid a, a groundwork for me to a natural affinity and connection to nature. And early on, I began asking my parents and grandparents if I could go out and spend some time alone in the woods and in the mountains. I think I began around four or five. And of course, at four or five, you're, you're still a bit young. So my, my elders kindly said to me, just wait a, wait a little bit, son. You can go out in a little bit, but be patient. So I remember I waited after the first request, I waited a full year, and then when the next year rolled around, asked again in the, in the midsummer. And I said, well, you're almost, by that time I was around six. And I said, well, maybe maybe next year, you're doing pretty good, maybe next year. And then I, when I entered my seventh year, I said, okay, you can go out now. So I went out for initially a very short period of time, I think it was only four or five days and nights, but i dropped deeply into the solitude of the white mountains of new hampshire in this place where where i did my first retreat and the purpose or the reason i did it was i was totally in love with nature and and with the, the dance of life that i was surrounded by on the farm called oh, the place hill Likers farm very beautiful overlooking the the entire uh, white mountains and looking up what's called the Conway Valley to Mount Washington, which is one of the highest peaks in the East. A spectacular site, the big lake down below us. And um, <clears throat> so I began doing these deep immersions of anywhere from uh, three or four or five days. And then eventually it, it built up to where I could do a week or even a week and a half or 10 days or so. And I was motivated to do this by a deep passion for connection to nature. I knew that this was this was the, the source of so much of what I loved about my life. It was natural to want to go out and really embrace that fully and experience that fully and really have the fullness of what it means to be in this body in this time in this way. And I noticed as I did that, initially the animals were a little uh, shy. But the more I went, and the deeper I went, the field that uh, that we all experience—the field of energy and consciousness that, of course, can accompanies, accompanies us in life—began to shift. And suddenly, the animals and the different uh, beings of nature began to come in very close. Butterflies would land on my shoulder. Birds would come in and land on my knees. Um, squirrels would come up and sit on my feet and uh, the groundhogs would come in very close and very friendly, foxes would come by and, and hang out not far away, uh, the birds were very close, the ravens and the and the, uh, and the hawks and the eagles, and it was like having a big extended family beyond the family tribe. And I felt like I was opening up into a, a another kind of family that was even beyond that wonderful family that I already had. And uh, it was, it was an amazing experience. I began to understand in later years, I didn't know at that time about the Native American vision quest, but in a point of fact, what I did effectively was a vision quest starting at age seven and then can pre- progressively would do it sometimes two or three times a year. And go deeper and deeper with each immersion I've learned about how immensely powerful the both the silence and the space and the what happens when you drop let human culture drop away and you drop into pure presence in a deeply relaxed state and you notice we've we've, we've mentioned in the sharings on the podcasts that in order for uh, uh any connection to happen, you have to c- can be completely present with nature and not distracted by a lot of busy mind or emotional um, stuff going on in the heart. So you have to be very, very, very relaxed and free of some of the obscurations that normally prevent connection. So I learned that at really at an early age that if I was going through some kind of turmoil, I was worried about homework or going to school or something of that sort. Uh, if I just let that go and dropped into the moment suddenly what arose out of that moment was uh, what I think we called last time the oment and uh, the uh, out of that pure presence of the moment kind of very pure deep connection began to arise but without relaxation as the precursor real presence never
0: happened yeah and I think uh, Maybe one thing that would be very helpful for the listeners is to understand if someone has never heard the word "presence" before, which is which is quite hard, I know, but uh what exactly do we mean by it? Is it a tangible quality? Is it a sense that arises in your awareness, like sound? uh It's really hard to explain it, uh but I thought it would be good to define it at least in some form and uh, and before we jump into that like i i wanted to just say that i really resonate with with what you're speaking of it's very fresh because i've spent a few hours just before our conversation in nature practicing tai chi and i have found a specific spot uh, in the middle of like surrounded by four or five trees and I practice there every day now for the last few days and I'm starting to notice um, what's happening is the birds are much more comfortable and they come much closer and the squirrels are closer. It's quite eerie to sort of have you give the similar example at the same time, but it is very interesting. Uh, it almost feels like they are no longer finding me as an intrusion into their space. Yes.
1: Yeah, they sense that you're a- a human that is actually connected, a human that's not threatening, and a human that has deep appreciation and respect for for the rest of life. and so there's, there's a, a natural sense of that and and so of course the animals and the plants are going to embrace you in a certain way.
0: And there seems to be at least how I feel about this idea of presence, and I'm sure everyone has a different meaning around it which you will add to, is there seems to be a different quality or a different response that I have around a squirrel moving um, versus a bird. And sometimes they might be in periphery of my vision, so I'm not even clearly seeing them, but I can sense a slightly grounded, crubby feeling when there's a squirrel around and a lot lighter, gentler, uh, subtle sense when there is a baby bird. Uh, and mm. even with the trees, you have a sense like when you have these big trees, they have this very stable, thick field of chi, and these young, subtle plants have this very fresh, gentle form of energy, which is very nourishing. So it'd be very lovely to have you uh define presence for the listeners, but then also connect that to how how one can experience it in different forms of nature, so they can get a direct taste yeah. of it.
1: absolutely. Uh, oh, I was going to ask, you're doing Tai Chi for liberation that, that Tai Chi.
0: So a lot of uh, the swinging arms that you had uh, taught us during the retreat, and a lot of
1: yeah, like standing like between. the tree. liberation
0: practice. Yeah, the a little bit, arms. a little bit of Tai Chi for liberation, but a lot of uh, standing like a tree.
1: And the Chi practices.
0: Yeah, that's like that's just my favorite. Yeah,
1: that's, that's very supportive of both presence and connection too because when you do these practices that we focus on in the way of nature, um, you're cultivating an energy field connection that then begins to become an energy field that's very harmonious and balanced and connected to the elements and to the plants and the animals, the rocks, all the beings of nature. And so the response, it, it strengthens the response of nature in a very deep and loving way. And so it's a great thing that you're doing that. It it really supports the process of presence profoundly. Uh, So, mentioning a little bit more on the presence issue uh, or principle. If you, a lot of people look on it sometimes as being a a mystery, and uh, actually, it's the simplest thing on the planet. I think it's so simple that that's what makes true presence or pure presence sometimes look like it's somewhat unattainable, but really the only invitation is to let all the things that stand in the way of dropping into being here right now, in the now, just to let those things fall away and to drop into the experience of pure being in the present moment, which is why I call it you've, you go from the, the moment to the oment. If you succeed in being truly present, you move from the, the moment to the oment, meaning you're completely embedded in the now. And then through that nowness or that moment, this natural connection to the rest of life begins to rise as you're experiencing during your Rashid time on your home. Uh, <clears throat> so part of, the, part of the invitation is to, if you go into nature, that other people within which these days of course is an imperative because i've mentioned how powerful nature is as a healer and a balancer and i think i mentioned in our last sharing that it's very important for people in this time to strengthen their immune systems and to strengthen their capacity by going out into nature but to do it safely practicing physical distance so there's no uh, minimal risk of, uh, of air droplets carrying any virus in your direction but if you add in nature alone it's even better because then human culture completely falls away you don't have somebody to talk to when you're starting to talk to somebody you immediately begin to bring in human culture again and when you let human culture go you let that release which is what happened to me when i first did uh, these these kinds of things at seven years old. I didn't have a philosophy about that. I just was alone and human interaction dropped away. And I was completely there in the moment with nature. And so nature and I began to speak to each other. It was a natural thing. You want to communicate with your, your community. And my community went from the human community, which is a very beautiful one, to the community of nature and all of life with no intermediary of a lot of languaging so when you go into nature as as we are doing these days we have to be in solitude what a beautiful invitation for the human species that's so out of balance and touch with the rest of life here's our species invitation to drop into pure presence with the family of life that we've forgotten about and disregarded and just taken from. And the gift of that, of course, is you drop into an experience of the life field, which is inherently joyful. The main experience of that connection is not one of fear or anxiety, or, uh, oh my God, am I gonna get bitten by a mosquito or things like that. Uh, It's one of, when you go into pure presence you have you start having the experience of an, an immense joy of life which begins to rise naturally in a huge experience of the vitality of nature that is the chi that flows or the prana that flows naturally through all living beings. Most living things be they a tree or a flower or a beautiful coyote or a beaver swimming in his pond are perfect expressions of the life force flowing in a pure and perfectly harmonious and balanced way. Now, all of those beings go through the cycle of life and death, of course, but when they're, during the duration of them, most of their lives, their lives are filled with joy and happiness, especially those that are in a state of wildness where they're free of being impacted by by human uh, patterns like forestry, agriculture, and the various things where we've modified nature. Once you begin to modify nature, it begins to shift, the the patterns become different. So if you can get out into a kind of very natural form of nature where there's minimal human modification, then of course this, this pure presence and the joy that comes with it begins to manifest much more profoundly. One of the simple ways you can do this, that that you can really have this experience more easily, is to take something in nature. Like, uh, for example, we have some aspen trees on our Sacred Land Sanctuary here. And I like to go up and sit in an aspen grove, which is in the heart of the land up there, and simply meditate on the trees and on the leaves. The main species is called the quaking aspen populous tremuloides, the trembling popular poplar. And um, so the leaves are in a state of continuous vibration and shaking and moving. It's kind of interesting that a tree that is shaking and trembling so much from our standpoint, was selected by one of the great uh, uh, botanists and healers of, of England uh to be one of the one of the plants that he used for for healing and he found that the energy quality of the flowers of that tree helped to support uh antidoting fear so he used it as a way of you would take an essence of that flower the vibrational essence of that flower to help antidote your fear i thought it was always interesting here's a leaf that's trembling in the breeze like this As if it was shaking with fear, but it's actually the antidote for fear. But my experience when I'm sitting in that aspen grove is that because the leaf is always moving, if you're really present with that leaf as it moves, and you're exactly with each position of the leaf as it moves, or the overall position of the leaves as you're looking at the entire grove, if you're seeing with a much wetter eye, then it Supports you coming into a deeper and deeper level of presence. You you cannot move to, oh my gosh, how is that leaf a second ago or two seconds ago, or what might it be in the next second? You just drop completely into how it is precisely in the moment, and then the window to true and pure presence begins to open. And if you're fortunate, you really drop into that moment I was talking about earlier. And the experience of pure presence is one of great joy and happiness and the, you might say the joyful experience of life itself. Yeah. So, and and relaxation is the preparation ground for that because if you have blockages at the physical level, at the emotional level, at the energetic level, at the level of the mind and your ideas and thoughts, at the level of your family history and the kinds of stuff that your family culture brought you, or even your karmic history if you believe in karma uh all of these things go and you can much more easily than drop into pure presence and yeah. the gifts of the karma
0: yeah and i think we will touch upon uh the relaxation especially through these different bodies uh, in probably our next conversation for principle four but i want to really uh pull on that thread on presence that you just shared. So I think what would be very helpful for for our listeners is to think about different practices around the five elements perhaps, where which elements can you observe and get in presence? Because I've often found, for me, for instance, looking at water seems to work really, really well. Looking at the sea, Mm. looking at a stream, and uh, can you maybe give us a view on that as well? As to is it that different people find different resonances with different elements, and how can they use the five elements as portals into presence? Uh, and before we jump into the the five elements as a portal into presence, uh, I want to just quickly touch on this point of the word harmony. Like you've used the word harmony multiple times, uh, and the idea of being in an unspoiled, uh, a completely organic, natural place, and sort of learning to come into it in a way that, over time, the creatures and the environment finds you to be a part of it. It, it. This reminds me of the principle of Wu Wei, almost in Taoism. Yes. the idea of, you know, like the, the image of the beaver, not really struggling against water. You know, it's sort of just effortlessly flowing. Yeah. so maybe maybe we can also just describe to the listeners the idea of wu wei and sort of like the intention that you want to carry when you are going into nature because you don't want to be the person who is going in stomping on some little plants and throwing some garbage on the way or making a lot of loud noise and so can you maybe first talk about that intention of which we can carry the idea of wu wei and the idea of going in with respect and harmony and then maybe we can jump into the elements as a portal
1: Sure, <clears throat> the, uh, yeah, Taoism is, is, is an amazing uh, culture because it, it really works so intimately with the core principles of nature as a pathway. And because of the, I think that it evolved as one of the great shamanic traditions, originally. That's my own feeling about it. I've spent quite a bit of time in China with Taoist masters and um, I've been very impressed by this natural ability to come into harmony and attunement or at one with the elements. Uh, and out of that comes the natural experience of the, of the beautiful flow of life, the kind of wu wei, the movement of the effortless flow that comes out of source itself, that arises from source itself. Um, by the way, we have a practice called Gaia Flow, which really supports that experience of flow and momentary presence while making a connection to the different elemental aspects of nature. But that's maybe for another time to go into. Um, <clears throat> but I think the simple thing that people could do in their own neighborhoods, if they have a small park, obviously everything is interconnected. we said in the first principle and then we said in the in the context of that, that everything is changing, everything has a state of continuous transformation. And when you stay with the transformation aspect of everything in nature, then that brings you into presence, naturally. If you can do that in an environment that's relatively, uh, relatively unmodified by, by humans, or been allowed, nature has been allowed to unfold itself in a way that has minimal uh, impact from humans, uh, then you experience a kind of nature that's pretty special. You cannot find a place anywhere on the planet anymore where certain kinds of pollutants, uh, of course, the atmosphere has changed, so that's happening on a planetary basis. So don't get too hung up on it being perfectly um, free of all that kind of thing. It's more where the environment is relatively natural and unmodified. But if you can find a place like that in these days, when we're having all these difficulties with with the coronavirus, um, if you can simply go out into—I hear that many of the parks are being closed down, which is in a way kind of tragic because the, many of the the parks are exactly what people need right now. If you're going there in solitude, there's no danger from the standpoint of the disease. If you go there in solitude, you stay there in solitude and you return in solitude without physical contact with other people, then it's totally safe. So it's again a matter of how you go about things. I would say if you can find a way to make a connection to some kind of relatively relatively natural thing, see if you can spend some time with each one of the major elements. Spend a little time, for example, in the case of the Chinese system of the elements, the wood element is one of the primary ones and the wood element is associated with the liver internally and with the color green. If you can find a beautiful tree, a beautiful plant or flower, and start just making a connection with it through your senses, then you're beginning to make an authentic connection with the wood element without having to learn even the, the specific sounds or colors that we use classically in Taoist internal alchemy to deepen that connection. Then maybe make a connection to the the fire element, which is often associated with the heart. And for that, of course, if you have a sunny day, that's one of the ideal things to connect with because you have the fiery element of the sun hanging in the sky overhead and bringing you all that wonderful warmth. We all love lying out on the beach and just feeling that sweet energy of the fire element bathing us. So do that and really honor as you do this, honor thanks back to the fire element to the sun to wherever the source of the fire element might be could also be a volcanic flow if you're lucky enough to live in parts of Hawaii that are experiencing lava flow that's quite an experience don't get too close the uh it might be a bonfire but however it's natural for you uh see if you can get some connection with the fire element then I highly recommend in these days that you spend a little time taking off the shoes if they're, if they have a rubber sole and spending a little time barefoot on the earth, on the soil. Rubber tends to act as an insulation. It's a good insulator for electricity, a lot of tools that you work with, you're prevented from getting a shock by a rubber coated tool if you're working as an electrician. But in the same way, that rubber provides a barrier to the proper chi connection between the earth and your body. So take your shoes off or wear a shoe that's like a leather moccasin or a the Chinese slippers that are used in Kung Fu or Tai Chi. There, there's a type of slipper you can find that has a cotton sole. Those are excellent if you have to wear some kind of a uh, the protection in nature, because your feet are tender. In the Native American way, we have this term that we used to apply to Europeans when they first came to the Americas. Uh, we noticed that when we would walk around barefoot, but these Europeans would come over, and as soon as they began walking around, if, if they were barefoot, they would, they would go, ow, ow, that hurts, because their feet were very tender. They're not used to walking barefoot in contact with nature and with the earth. So old, these people tender feet or tenderfoot. I don't know if you've got that term in other parts of the world, but that was a Never. common term for your...
0: <laughs> Never heard that before.
1: <laughs> beautiful. It's very true. It's very true. I mean, your feet are very tender, as you probably noticed, if you've been wearing shoes a lot, and then you go out and walk in nature barefoot feet are going to be tender for a little while but over a period of a week couple of weeks you'll slowly slowly get uh, conditioned to being able to walk on the earth and then you won't be as tenderfoot anymore you'll be yeah. a deeply
0: connected person i highly recommend this actually i uh, i got like those uh, barefoot shoes which yeah. allow you to feel everything uh, on the ground they're yeah. pretty much like a, a centimeter of yeah great layering yeah and yeah, the first okay. few days i wore it I was like, Jesus. So I used to just wear it for like 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. Uh, and then I started wearing them more and more. And now I can wear them all day. And Beautiful. so what happened is your fascia starts to break down almost. Then it becomes yeah. very soft, but very thick.
1: And it's thick. interesting because the feet are so soft. They're not very, they don't get hard and, and horny. But they get actually more, in some ways, more soft, like a really well-worked leather. And But they don't. They don't hurt, your, your feet become conditioned to walking like that. And the rea- one of the reasons that's important is that they found that if you're spending a lot of time with novel electromagnetic fields, like coming out of cell phones and computers like these, um, these electromagnetic fields, in a sense, tend to throw the body out of balance because they're novel to the human organism. We did not evolve with these kinds of things hanging around us by going out and spending just an hour or so barefoot each day it brings your energetic system back into harmony and balance with nature and you start feeling good again i'm sure you've all had the experience if you've been walking or sitting on the earth or lying on the earth for a while you feel different that's one of the reasons why electromagnetically you come back into a natural harmony with the the way the the original human body was meant to be, how it co-evolved with the rest of life. So do that for an hour a day. There's a point in the front center of the foot called the bubbling spring point, or the bubbling well point. I think in that scope kind of book, it's it's clearly indicated. But if you go into the front center of the foot, where the balls, the foot of the four toes, and then the big toe where they join, if these were the toes, and this was the big toe. It's a point right in here where all the smaller toes and the big toe join. It's called the kidney one point. It's basically in the front, roughly in the front, the center of the front third of the foot. So that point is the point that gives a tremendous amount of helpful and and balanced chi from the earth into the human body. And if you can, especially, Make sure that point is in contact with the earth, then it supports uh, actually the kidney, G and the water element very, very strongly. It also supports the um, deep connection with the earth experientially. So you begin to bond with the earth much more deeply. In the sequence of the elements that we're talking about, um, after you've worked with the fire element in the sun, you would normally then work with the earth element which in the human body is represented, especially by the organs of the spleen, pancreas and stomach. And then once you've made a deep connection with the earth by making this kind of connection through the feet and just by lying down on the earth and putting your palms on the earth and breathing in the sweet energy of the earth, what a beautiful thing. We all, I think, do that instinctively when we've been separated from nature for a while. And if it's dry enough, and then once you've done that, you can move to working with the metal element. In uh, the metal element is often represented by not necessarily just by metals like platinum, gold, silver, and so on. But in uh, feng shui and Chinese gardening, often rocks are representatives of the metal element. So you can go out and hang out with a good stone if you're lucky enough to live in a place that has stones like. Where I live here, we call this place Creststone. Creststone, and we have meditation seats that are thousands of years old, where you can sit on a stone seat that's been there to help you bond with nature, and it's been literally constructed by the ancient hominids of this place to to do that. And when you sit on these these stones, you it immediately begins to bring you back into harmony with the earth. And with the metal element aspects of your being. Once you've connected again with the metal element with the stone element, as we might call it here, then you your next step is to make a good connection with the water element. You're mentioning the joy of being close to a stream. If you're lucky enough to be near a beautiful, live running stream, as I am here, I have two streams I hang out with here in Creston that are alive, vital, filled with life, all kinds of living beings flowing. With it and around it, where it might be a lake or it might be the ocean, but however it's manifesting, spend a little time with the water element and bond with it. Um, you might, if you're if you're able to put your your body parts of your body in the water element, you can make a connection with the water element physically, and that supports beginning to open up to that elemental aspect of yourself in the Chinese system we say that there's the the wood element, the fire element, the earth element, the metal element, and the water element. And so if you can connect experientially directly with each of the five elements in your immediate environment, maybe in a backyard garden, if you can't go to a park right now, Or if you're lucky enough to be able to go into nature somewhere where it's natural and you can be separated from human beings and be alone for a couple of hours alone in nature and make these connections, you're going to feel the difference. I guarantee it because human culture will have fallen away for just a little while. Your connections will be much more pure and the gifts that you will receive will be much greater. Always give back respect, appreciation and honor to nature. I like to do it just by opening the heart and reading love and appreciation back to the different elemental aspects of nature. or I might if it's something that is tangible I can touch like a tree, I might place my hand on the heart and then bring that heart energy to the tree or the rock, or to if I'm connecting with the sun, I might place my hand on the heart and then just open the hands up and, and offer the appreciation and the respect back to the sun in the sky very simple things but before you get into these more uh, classical approaches of working with the sounds of the elements or the colors of the elements i recommend making the right connection yourself experientially and then start with that as your foundation and then these other approaches can be brought in to make it stronger and deeper and more powerful what this will do by the way is strengthen your immune system so in a time when uh, our bodies are, are under threat by things like illnesses and diseases, these simple things immediately begin to support internal harmony and balance, and are actually one of the best things you can you can do to meet the oncoming challenges of these novel diseases, which are beginning to appear around the planet. Uh, let me just say one last thing about that, by the way, just to look at the other side of the coin here for a moment. When I grew up in New Jersey, I grew up part-time in New Jersey and part-time in New Hampshire. I used to go into a place called the Great Swamp in New Jersey. Uh, every free moment I had, free of school, I'd go out into the swamp with some of my, my buddies, like uh, one of my good friends was a fellow named Butch. And we would go out into the swamp and sometimes I would go alone. And do uh, do a, a passage or request there, but what I noticed in during looking back and thinking about those years is that I would um, I would wade around sometimes up in chest high water in swamp, and never had any problems whatsoever. No no parasites. No no issues of any kind. I went back there some years ago for a revisit, maybe thirty years later. And I I took took my shoes off and my socks I went into the swamp. And I was just enjoying the feeling of the warm muck uh, in my feet. And I (laughs) came out of the muck, there's a wonderful sucking sound, of the feet coming out of the muck as the the Mm. black earth is just holding it. But what was different was that my legs were covered with leeches. You know, I never, as a kid, had any leeches on my body there. And I, I was there every single free hour I could spare. Thanks to my mother, who would often drive me there and leave me. And then we'd have an hour where she'd come back and pick me up, coming out of the swamp all muddy and like a swamp monster, I'm sure. <laughs> but, but, um, but the thing that struck me when I went back was suddenly there were leeches. And then when you're walking through the forest, I walked everywhere in New Jersey. There was never, I never had a tick bite and never saw any ticks. They weren't around. When I went back, the ticks were everywhere in the forest surrounding the Great Swamp and in the swamp itself, in some of the hammock areas of the swamp. So I'm beginning to ask the question, the, the arising of these novel diseases, that are bringing in things like um, <clears> hantavirus <throat> with the mice, the tick-borne diseases that we have in the in the east, the um, the arising of all the leeches that I mentioned that were in the swamp, and now we have the coronavirus. All of these things seem to be appearing out of nature, nature as an imba- in an imbalanced system sense, because it's coming out of nature when it's been thrown into deep imbalance by the human species. And uh, I've just been watching this and noticing this. I haven't heard a lot of people talking about it, but recently when there was a discussion of the coronavirus, one of the, one of the things that I was struck by was the fact that when many of these kinds of diseases seem to be appearing, for example, in the Amazon, if you destroy much of the rainforest, one of the first things that happens in the communities that are surrounding the rainforest that have to live in the areas that are left after the trees are all cut down and the forest is totally destabilized. You begin to have malaria, all kinds of mosquito-borne diseases suddenly begin to appear that they weren't there before. And we're seeing these same kinds of patterns in Southeast in, in Asia where you go into environments you destroy the natural balance of nature and then suddenly these these novel sicknesses and those illnesses begin to permeate into human populations because they, you know, the, the original wholeness of the natural system has been deeply disturbed and these diseases begin to escape. Another serious example of this that I've been personally very worried about for the future, I haven't heard hardly any discussion of this, is that in the past, many of the ancient diseases of the planet were locked into the kind of the soils and the um, environments of the arctic the places that now have what's called permafrost permafrost means it's permanently frozen well these permafrost areas are all organic materials that are layered with ice as part of their structure now these soils these environments have been are in a sense they preserve not only woolly mammoths that are stuck became stuck in the ice and we find them in, um, in Alaska or Siberia now almost fresh. I remember hearing stories of mammoths being found with fresh uh, daisies in their, in their mouth, that fresh. But also these permafrost soils are holding many forms of, of organisms that were from times from thousands of years ago. What happens as the permafrost melts as a result of climate change and suddenly these organisms are free to move out into the proto environment. It could be that what we're experiencing with the coronavirus is just the beginning of a series of things that are released into the proto global ecosystems that um, that are we're just having a little taste of what can happen. I'm mentioning this because climate change could be a far more serious issue in terms of human disease inputs than we realize. I think maybe after this experience that we're going through now as a global culture really sinks in, if we start paying attention to how the human interference with the global ecosystems has actually led to the explosion of any of these diseases we will begin to take bringing uh, our forests and our ecosystems back into balance again much more seriously. But I think we're receiving a very powerful lesson at that level too. And again, it's one more reason that we really need to come back into balance and harmony and deep connection, deep love and appreciation and respect for the rest of life. That's the invitation right now. So just going out into your garden is a good first step and making a connection with the wood element, with the fire element, the earth element, with the metal or stone element, with the water element is a good start. You're beginning to reconnect in a powerful way and bring some harmony and balance with you as you do that and
0: uh, yeah and and when you say that i also feel that just like a lot of the natural ecosystems are out of balance i also sense that the human being as an individual system is out of balance I feel that a lot of the diseases we see are related to stress. Uh, a lot of the mental health crisis, uh, yes. that is happening. Of course, uh, there's obviously uh, a part of it which is bio- uh, which is based on chemical imbalances. And obviously, we are not doctors and we're not speaking to that. But a lot of the anxiety and depression and stress and heart problems and just the busy mind that we have—they seem to be also symptoms of a human being out of harmony. Because when you go into nature and when you feel that harmony, when you do a Taoist practice or you—you you just go for a wild swim—you come out as a different person. You feel yourself balanced mm-hmm. as a system. And I feel that our cities and our economies designed to treat us not like human beings but like production and consumption machines uh, where everyone needs to consume and then everyone needs to measure their productivity Uh, would be lovely to sort of have your thoughts on this as well
1: yeah you're absolutely correct on that it um in a way everything in the modern world is since trying to move us in a different direction than what we've been sharing here today uh but I, as i said earlier i think we have a amazing invitation as a species to learn how to reconnect with the basic the basis of life itself and starting with the nature closest to ourselves, which is called our human body the human body is nature closest to us and the aspects of the human body that the Taoist emphasized were, of course, these these five elemental aspects that we were talking about earlier. But um, I think the, uh, without dwelling too much more on the, the causes of imbalance, I think they're pretty obvious to most of us. Uh, you mentioned that there's an effect on the on the human uh, on the human emotions on the human mind as well. Uh, Tracing it back to the element system again, the wood element of the liver and gallbladder is often said to be associated with anger as a blockage. The fire element, which is especially associated with the heart and the uh, small intestine, is often said to be associated with hastiness, anxiety, kind of a bitter hatred aspect sometimes, type A behavior in general. And then the, the earth element, Is often, which is associated with the spleen, pancreas, and and stomach, is often said to be associated with worry, profound levels of worry. And then the metal element, which in our case may be a connection to the rock people, the stones, stone people, uh, is associated with, especially with sadness and grief. It's very closely associated with the lungs in the large intestine. So we really need to do some some work on the, on the metal element right now because many of these new diseases are causing pneumonia. The coronavirus, for example, lays the groundwork for then the pneumonia illness to come, which is a different, officially a different disease, but it's linked in. It lays the groundwork, lays the field for the mucosal membranes of the lungs to be been out of shape enough so that then the pneumonia can come in and take over. And that's actually what kills people. The, uh, and if your immune system is weak, then of course you're in trouble. Then of course the, uh, the next element in that sequence is the water element, as we were talking earlier, associated with the kidneys and the, um, and the bladder. And the main characteristic, emotional blockage characteristic of the kidneys is fear which is why you'll often see when an animal is, is being chased to the forest, if it has a chance to stop or it senses fear in the very beginning, one of the first things it does is pee. And then it runs. We're no different. If you suddenly feel fear, one of the first things you have a natural instinctive uh, push to do is to pee. Now the water, Now these elements, the, the wood element uh, feeds the, I'd say the wood feeds the fire element, the fire element feeds once the wood is burned it leaves behind the material that then becomes the earth element, the ashes. When the earth element is condensed and put under pressure it leaves behind the metal element or the stones. When the stone element is molded or the metal element is molded it then provides either on its surface the place where the water element can be condensed or the, the water can um, be gathered and and collected and then the water element in turn feeds once again the, the wood element. so that cycle of wood feeding fire fire feeding earth earth feeding metal or stone <coughs> metal stone feeding the water element the water element feeding feeding the the wood element, that is a cycle of generation that we use in the generation cycle and we're working with bringing the elements back into balance internally. And maybe in a future session, I'll give a more complete teaching on how you can work with the sounds, the colors, the qigong and some of the other aspects of um, bringing our own personal nature back into balance harmony and a much stronger immune state of being. I think that'd be very valuable for people. And it also helps to resolve the emotional states of anger, hastiness, worry, sadness and grief, and fear, which are some of the most fundamental emotional blockage things that we all have to deal with in this life. So uh, I did want to mention some of that as long as we're talking about the elements as being an initial way to begin to connect with nature. And we talked today about just going out into your garden or wherever you can safely make a connection outdoors with nature, do it. It will bring you great, great joy. It will bring in harmony and peace, and it will help to strengthen your immune system, which is very
0: important right now. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, John. Uh, I guess just to wrap up, uh, a final question around just making it even more pragmatic in terms of people who might be isolated at home, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you mentioned that you can just use candle uh, to access the fire element. Uh, Could you say if that's something that one could do, for instance, if you have a plant in your room or we all have access to water, uh, and we all hopefully have a window to look at the sun. Uh, Are we able to connect at some level if we are isolating?
1: Yes, if you're in a situation where you really have difficulty getting out for any reason, if you're in the middle of a city and there's a very strong lockdown going on, then you, if you've got a porch or a place where you can sit with an open window and the sunlight can beam in and you have a house plant, you can make a connection to the all the world plants that have supported all of life on this planet that one plant becomes the doorway for you to make a connection to the world of all plants and likewise if you have a connection to the sun through that window you can make a direction connection to the sun even in your living room or your bedroom uh and if you has some difficulty with that, as we were saying. We, you can have a small candle or a couple of candles, and have the fire element come in that way. The earth element, uh, you might have a little pot of soil with your plants. Well, maybe you just place your hands on that pot of soil, or maybe you can go sit on the steps of your your building, get your feet on the soil. I had some years ago. I had a stroke. And uh, I had to learn how to regrow my brain as a result of the stroke and to learn how to go into the blockage points in the brain where the parallel, which was causing paralysis in the body and then in a sense, re pathways of, of awareness between the brain and the parts of the body that were paralyzed in the legs and the arms. So in the lips, I couldn't talk at that time. So one of the first things I asked the, the nurses to do was to take me in the wheelchair and bring me outside and breathe the fresh chi of the outside air. And then the second thing I said, I'm mean, gonna now put my feet on the earth. I just wanna sit here and meditate for, for an hour in the sun. And I concentrated on deep earth connection right in that hospital backyard. It was very powerful and very healing and it contributed substantially to my being able to reverse the the paralysis that. That came with the stroke. These are not fancy things. It's very simple. You can do it in the middle of a city. I have done myself many times. I, I lived for about three three years in the middle of New York City and I had a little uh, Atlantis tree, a tree of heaven they call it. It's in my little backyard. And I would go out and I was so starved for connection to nature. I would sit with that tree. I would put my feet on the earth in that tiny little backyard that was a postage stamp backyard. And I would connect with the elements in just the way I'm sharing here. And it kept me sane. So uh, you can all do that if, if you need to. But for those of you who can get out into a, a wild aspect of nature a more natural aspect of nature, do that because then you're connected with the harmony and balance of the entire system and you become part of it.
0: Perfect, that's, uh, yeah. that's great, John. And I think sure. uh, anyone listening to this podcast at this point in time, you have no excuses now. Uh, you are listening to this, which means you can afford a candle, a plant, or access to a park. Uh, so please, uh, I think you should stop listening to this now and just go into some nature uh, and have a good time. All that right, John, good. Uh, until next time, uh, okay. be well.
1: Thank you, Bree. Wonderful, wonderful sharings and questions.
0: Take care. Okay.